coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are. You're listening to the VIP Jazzwall Report. It seems like kids these days are constantly in front of a screen, whether it's a smartphone, laptop, a tablet, TV or a video game. This seems to be the common complaint amongst parents today. But are we making too much of an issue out of this? Or are we just in a dilemma because maybe our kids are learning more from technology than they are from us? I want to get to the bottom of this and really get into the hearts and minds of the psyche of our youth today in order to understand how best to manage this dilemma. My guest is a parenting and child development expert who specializes in the social and emotional development of the youth of today. Her books have reached over 15 million children. Her advice has taken her to the Oprah Winfrey Show, The View, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and numerous parenting magazines. But the only thing bigger than her achievements is her personality. She's larger than life, and it's my pleasure to welcome Denise Daniels. Welcome to the show, Denise. Well, thank you. That was quite an impressive um, introduction. Thank you, Vip. Thanks for having me today. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. You excited? I am really, because I think, you know, that at the end of the day, we parents are really concerned about what's going on with our children, Mm. the impact to society. I mean, technology is here to stay. There's no question about that. And and it's great to be able to have this dialogue back and forth and, and just help our listeners today understand what we know professionally and the kind of studies we've seen and what we've seen with kids. Well, let me start by taking you on a little journey in a time machine, okay? <laughs> sure. Now, in the good old days when we were young, you know, access to knowledge was really limited to three or four sources, and that was school, uh, our parents, mm-hmm. um, and then encyclopedias and libraries. You know, encyclopedias, uh, I remember the encyclopedia salesperson knocking on the door and, and my parents would spend a lot of money buying it, putting it on the shelf. It became a, uh, a decorative uh, a piece. It also became an icon in the house that showed our guests that, you know, we were a learned house. Um, and then also with the libraries, you had to get up, get out of the house, go to the library. So actually what you had to do was you either had to pay for it or you had to make a special effort to get access to knowledge. Thereby, it had value. And today there seems to be no value to knowledge but a whole wealth of it. So, you know, for for our youngsters of today, is is having a wealth of knowledge at their fingertips good for them? Well, you know, I think that's a really interesting question and one that, I'd have to answer in two different ways, Mm. because I remember the encyclopedias, and it was almost a status symbol. If you could have, you know, it showed that your parents cared about your education, and that's what you valued. And with all the good things that the Internet provides, because we have to think it's the same thing. A lot of our kids are using the Internet because not only are they trying to stay connected, but also trying to learn. They use it for homework. I mean, it opens up a whole world of opportunities for children. It makes life easier for us to stay connected for families, and Skyping actually can augment relationship building. So when you think of all the wonderful things that the Internet can do, yes, learning is a big part of that. So 
you know, we don't want to say, oh, you have to keep your kids off the Internet. It's together, let's figure out a way we can do this where you have the benefits of, the, of all the opportunities but also know how to stay one step ahead of your kids and be aware, be savvy, cyber parents is what I call them, and, um, and stay plugged in. But do you think there's too much knowledge make you, or, or let me put it another way, does access to too much knowledge, can that make you less intelligent? Because, you know, you're, you're talking about the Internet as a source of knowledge, which it is, but there's a lot of also, a lot of other dumb stuff that exists. Well, I, I think that when we're talking about the whole digital world, mm. and I'm kind of like a Neanderthal, so I've had to work really hard to stay plugged in with my children. Right. But the knowledge that they're getting from the Internet can be really, really helpful. It's endless. It's just you have to keep it in balance, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But it's what do we need to look for? You know, the average kid, a lot of kids are on the Internet seven hours a day. I mean, I saw that statistic, and I couldn't believe it. That's a lot of time. But is it making them more intelligent? I, I doubt that. I think it's, you know, a matter of how do you use it? How does one use the Internet? Mm. How can you use it in a way that's safe, in a way that builds emotional and, and, you know, without sounding too clinical, emotional intelligence? And what is that? There's been a ton of research that has indicated that that children need to have emotional skills. They need to know how to understand and manage their emotions. And the concern about the using, you know, the Internet and texting and everything else that kids are using right now is that the kids aren't connecting emotionally. There's been a whole revolution in child psychology about the importance of teaching kids how to understand and manage their emotions. Well, that's emotional intelligence, and I want to get into that later on. Yes. But I just look at the kids of today. Um, they give the impression that they know it all, um, and, and maybe we were like that when we were young. I think um, we were, Vip. Yes. Yeah, I, th I think we were, but now they have, I, I suppose, an extra um, rationale or logic to that attitude because they have access to the Internet. But I'm pretty safe in saying that they're not looking, when they're looking at the Internet, they're not looking at encyclopedia.com. No, they're they looking are. at a lot of other stuff, and a lot of their Internet usage is. Um, interacting on social media. Yes. That's my concern. So uh, is, is it actually dumbing them, dumbing them down? No, and I think that's a very valid concern because mm. if the only way a child or a kid, an adolescent, is connecting is through Facebook, mm. that, that kid is not connecting. He's missing a very important connection. He's not, he or she, is not connecting emotionally. Mm. And that's really, really important. And, you know, people are communicating more frequently now because of the Internet, which is a really great thing. But I pose this question. You know, what is the quality of that communication? We know communication is a cornerstone of having emotional skills. Right. And many parents feel like the Internet is taking over their family life. But kids need human relationships. 
But going back to my original question, do we think with so much knowledge around that they're actually becoming less intelligent? No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that they're becoming less intelligent. Mm. It's just different. Their mechanism for learning is different than it used to be when we carried, you know, 10 books home in our book bag from school. Right. Now there's the nook and, the, you know, the digital reading. And, you know, there have been studies, for example, Scholastic did a survey with all of these kids. Scholastic is like the largest publisher of kids' materials. I'm mm -hmm. sure you're familiar with it. And a lot of parents are who have sent kids to school. And they did a survey. And to their surprise, they found out that kids enjoyed holding books, the smell of books, the experience of books. And we always want to question as parents, are our kids getting too much digital time rather than the experiential and so I really do encourage children to buy books and go to the library and read as much as they can but there has to be a balance right, right? in anything there has to be balance now in your study and, and and obviously I was very impressed the fact that you know your books have reached over 15 million children what do you think is the psyche of today's youth I think the psyche has changed somewhat just because kids' brains are changing. Mm -hmm. The technology, everything happens so fast, and we communicate nanoseconds. Right. So they speak a nano language, and that's very different than how we used to communicate with each other. And I think we were talking before, you know, about writing notes and thank you notes and letters mm. and, and things that had such meaning and were so heartfelt. And now it's a kimoji. It's, you know, you have all these different ways of trying to express or maybe in capital letters when you're trying to really make a point and exclamation points. It's changed. Our way of communication has been altered and it's changed. And I think the jury is still out on which is better. Yeah, because, you know, in our generation, um, growing up when we were babies and all that, we started. We went from identifying photos in, in, in storybooks to constructing words uh, to then yeah. forming sentences, which then formed paragraphs um, as a means of communication. Now, if you look at it, we're going in reverse because we're going from paragraphs, we're going to sentences, then we're going to words, then to emojis, and now with this whole Snapchat thing, they communicate via photos. Right. And it's actually the studies, the, the medical studies have actually shown that it's changing kids' brains. And kids but, are But to what? What's the impact? I mean, it's changing, yes, but what's the impact of this? The impact of it is that children don't have the attention spans that they used to have. It's affecting their critical thinking. Hmm. Many people come to us and talk about, you know, from corporations and say, we just can't hire people out of college now because they just lack the, the critical thinking skills that were so important in our day when we showed, for example, we used to have to show our math work, you know, on our papers. Mm. I'm older than you are, Vet, so I can, I remember those days. And, um, and those kinds of things have really changed because of the advent of the Internet. So, um, yes. What is critical actually, thinking when you say critical? What, what is it? Well, it's be, being able to take a problem and, and analyze it and to assess it and think it through and process it mm. and be able to do, you know, think, is this right? Is there a solution to the problem? You know, it's a whole entire process. Right. And our kids just aren't getting that a, a kind of experience nowadays. Now, you say 
um, that the ability to understand and catalog emotions is very important, more so ever since the advent of the Internet. What, what do you mean? Because when, when kids are on screens and have screens in front of them, mm. they're not connecting with the person on the other side emotionally. What's happening is they're not really building the human relationships that we need to have. Kids need to be able to, when we talk about emotions and the emotionality of the digital world or lack thereof, kids need to be able to hear inflections in people's voices. They need the experience of learning how to read nonverbal cues in themselves and in others to be able to say, okay, what is that person's body language? With the Internet, you have none of that. So the kids don't learn these skills. It's no wonder we have teachers saying that now only almost 50% of kids that are coming to kindergarten lack the social and emotional skills to be successful in school. Now, that's a staggering statistic. So, you know, we take it way back to our preschoolers, and, you know, we're seeing younger children you know, in our world, in the pediatric world, we say, you know, no screen time for kids before the age of two. But I can tell you when I am out for, with friends or I'm in a restaurant and I see people that have young children, those kids all have their faces on their iPads. Yes. And, and you know what? We, the brain development. And, and absolutely. And, and we... We as parents are at fault as well because, you know, we use technology to silence our kids um, and then we complain when they become addicts. Right. Or they don't have manners Mm. because they're not sitting at a table, respecting conversations, contributing to them because they don't know how to read those cues. And that's not expected of them. It's like we've lowered the bar. Does that make sense? It does. And what I'm noticing with, with the younger generation is that they are less emotional. They're very matter-of-fact. You know, you and I can remember um, when our parents would argue, we would feel for them. We would be unhappy. You know, we would be stressed. We would go talk to our friends about it. Um, Now, if, if say, I'm arguing with my wife, um, my child uh, says, well, that's your problem. And, And they're more than happy, you know, uh, playing the Xbox or whatever, it doesn't sort of impact them. And and, and as a family, we, you could feel the crack because um, my wife and I are having the issue. Uh, my, my, my child wants none of it, whereas back in the day, we wanted everyone to come together. Mm-hmm. So I'm noticing, yeah. and, and, and a lot of my friends, they, they have the similar issues, that their um, so-called family problems are isolated. Kids almost have this sense of entitlement in that, you know, it's my life, I want to be happy, uh, it's your life, you, you do what you want with it. But that's not right. how families operate. And I'm, I'm noticing um, in this younger generation this form of uh, behavioral pattern that's happening. And in the, talking about entitlement, um, we're the ones who should feel entitled because we're going to get older and we're looking forward to our youth looking after us, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen. No, and it already isn't happening. Mm. I mean, back in the days, we had grandparents that lived with us, extended family members when people were aging, right. and that is a whole new concept for kids. And and I understand what you're talking about, that because 
what happens is you see these kids become desensitized. Yes. Everything happens very quickly, and they begin to lack the empathy skills. They become, they have this sense of entitlement. And, and it's not really their fault, because that's learned behavior. It's, as parents, we need to be modeling healthy emotional connections. And you just don't get that on the Internet. You have to be able to, you know, when you've got kids sending out 700 texts in a day. I mean, it's just mind-boggling how much time kids are spending on the Internet. And another thing is, you know, I don't know how late you stay up, but by 1030 I'm in bed. And you wonder, at, you know, what happens after you go to bed at night. We can say, oh, the kids shouldn't have their computers in their room. They should bring them into the kitchen. But a lot of these kids are staying up all night on the Internet, and they have sleep deprivation when they get to school. You may see a decline in grades. Um, you may see kids with depression, eating disorders. You know, it's not uncommon for these kids to have not only um, psychological issues, emotional issues, but also physical issues as well. How can you tell that these sort of issues are being caused by screen time? I think you have to, you have to first of all, know your child. Mm. And hopefully you've got a relationship with your child where you formed a strong attachment and you've been emotionally invested in your kid. I mean, that is the most important thing a parent can do. But those are very big assumptions, though. Those are very big assumptions, being attached to your kid. A lot of kids don't have that. Yes, you're absolutely right. All of our studies show that even if, let's just use a mother, for example, that if She's working a lot of hours and coming home and even has a very small time with her child. Mm. If she's connecting emotionally with that child, the child will be okay. And it's the same for dads. What is emotionally connecting? uh, connecting? Because you've also used the expression emotional intelligence. Help me understand what both are. When you say emotional, I connect very emotionally with my son because I'm always telling him off. Um, is that emotional? <laughs> well, that's a little bit different. Right. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with setting limits for kids because that's the most loving thing we can do. Mm. I'm not sure about telling them off, but I know you're kind of kidding a little bit. But there is um, emotional intelligence is really understanding your feelings and the feelings of others. It's being able to understand them and manage them, mm. or we call it regulate. But those are the most important things um, or the cornerstones of emotional intelligence. And what all the research is showing is that kids can thrive when they learn these skills, regardless of language or culture or economic background or ethnicity. And it has lifelong effects. These kids score 10 points, on an average of 10 points higher on standardized tests if kids know how to talk about their feelings. You know, when we're working with kids with um, emotional intelligence, we mm. teach them there's an acronym called the RULER Method that, we, uh, that Mark Brackett from Yale University um, has developed. It's an approach to how you teach kids about emotions. It's teaching them how to recognize them Mm -hmm. in themselves and others. What do I look like when I'm angry? You know, what do I look like when I'm sad or depressed? Um, Understanding, and that is being able to 
figure out where is that feeling coming from? What's causing it? You know, what do I look like? What do I feel like? Um, labeling it. Even our young, young kids, kids that are coming to elementary school, they don't have a vocabulary for their feelings. And all the work I've done with kids, I usually have to spend some time on the forefront and teach them a vocabulary for their feelings. And then it's expressing them. There are a lot of ways that you can, in very healthy, in a very healthy manner, express your emotions. And it's talking about it. You know, kids can write about it. They can draw it out. And and in all fairness to the Internet, our adolescents, they'll write. They'll keep journals. Now, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Go ahead. Um, Mm -hmm. Mother who picks up the kids from school, what are the three things she should do uh, that shows that she's emotionally connecting with the child? Great Because she meets them every day. Yes, and every day, and sometimes kids come out of school and they don't want to talk. Yes, that, that so, I'm very familiar with right? that. Right, and the older, like when you have teenagers, like your son, you know, they, they don't want to talk right. about their day, and it's really hard to probe, and sometimes you may just have to follow their lead, but you always want to check in with them emotionally. You want to just say, how was school today? You know, what was the best thing that happened? You know, did you see so-and-so? Mm. If you're connected to your kid, you're going to know what's happening in in your child's life, right? But it's such a fine balance, you know, because if you push too hard, you're going to irritate them and isolate them further. Right. And you don't want them to push back. And and they can always say, if, if they say, I don't feel like talking right now, respect that. What we always want to do is validate our kids' feelings. Instead of telling them, well, you should feel this way, or I feel differently, or, you know, criticize them or minimize what they're trying to communicate to you. It's really important for them to connect with us on an emotional level. And if you have created in your home an environment that's safe for kids to talk about their feelings because you accept their feelings, even if you don't agree with them, that starts building an emotionally healthy home. Here's my dilemma. The third thing. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. The third thing would be modeling that as parents, as adults, that we can have differences. We don't have to agree. We can talk about things. There isn't anything in our family that we can't talk about. That's how you make that emotional connection. Well, here's my dilemma. Kid gets in the car, had a tough day at school, doesn't want to talk. You, you, mm-hmm. you try, you know, one question, second question, and you respect that and you leave them alone. Next thing you know, they pull out their smartphone and they're texting or whatever. So they do want to communicate, but it's not with you and it's not through words. They want to communicate virtually. Yes. So what happens there? Well, you know, as long as you can go back, circle mm. back with your child a little bit later when maybe he or she feels like talking and it's more open to that, right. and just letting them know that you're there for them, that's social media and the things kids are doing with texting and Instagram and everything else. It's like a support group <laughs> in a way because that's how they can stay connected to friends. And, and that's not a bad thing. Because what they're doing is expressing their feelings. And one of the things we do when we work with kids is encourage them to talk to their friends. But just be supportive. 
respect that there are times they're not going to want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. It's the kids that we see that are that are on the internet a lot, or they're texting their friends a lot, and they become withdrawn. You know, there are symptoms we can look for to say, hey, I think my kid is in trouble, or I think my child, you know. And and what are the top three symptoms? Well, you want to see if a a child seems depressed, if they become withdrawn, if they're spending an inordinate amount of time on the internet. Mm -hmm. Those would be three symptoms. Because if we look at, you know, some of the things we look at when we talk about addictive behavior, we talk about is it interfering with a child's school life? Is it interfering with their family life? Is it interfering with their relationships with friends? Or physically, that can be the other issue. Those are the kind of things that we look at to determine is this an addiction? Is it really a serious problem? Is this an ongoing problem? If you see any of those, they are red flags that your kid's in trouble. And you want to be sure and talk about it and get professional help so you can come up with a game plan to help your child. So this is a process because I've seen with some of my friends, I've seen their kids um, very shy in terms of approaching other adults and saying hello if if we're in a social setting. Mm -hmm. And and you're right. They do look a little withdrawn. They look uncomfortable. uh, They look a little clumsy. Uh, and then they're very happy when you give them a tablet or an iPad or whatever, uh, right. and, and they're in their comfort zone. Yes. But as parents, we need to have expectations of mm-hmm. our kids. We need to teach them what are proper manners, right. that you look somebody in the eye, that you put your hand out, that you greet them properly. Yes, they can use the Internet, but if, if they're not connecting in a socially appropriate manner, mm-hmm. Then it's time to do some talking. Then it might be time to see somebody, especially if a child is depressed. Now, some kids that are more shy, they feel comfortable with the Internet because there's a screen between them and other people. Right. But you have to look at high-risk kids. If a, if a child's family's gone through a divorce, if there's been a significant loss in the family or they've changed schools or anything along that line, that can always put kids at higher risk. So you want to keep an eye on them as well. Now, we talked about mothers and how they emotionally connect. Uh, fathers, you know, I'm, I'm going to stereotype and generalize, but generally they sort of come uh, later in the day after work. Um, the only real time they get to connect is on the weekends. How can fathers emotionally connect? I'm so glad you asked that question because there has been so much research recently that's been released that we found the important role that fathers Hmm. play in teaching kids emotional intelligence. And all the research is indicating that although dads interact with children in a different way than mothers do, it's just as powerful. They can make just as an important impact on teaching kids EQ skills. You know, I don't know, when your son was little, you probably ran around the house with him and played games and roughhoused with him because that's the way dads connect with their kids. I know I had a wonderful father, and that's what he used to, he had all girls, by the way, but um, he always roughhoused with us and played with us, and never for a moment did we ever think our dad didn't love us. 
And no matter how busy he was, because he was, you know, busy running Sears Roebuck, so he was a busy guy and traveling all over the place. But the great thing was that when he was home, he was so emotionally available. It's really for dads understanding and getting to know their kids. Mm. And if their kids have feelings, work with them on it. Talk to them about it. Talk about a time that you experienced that and how you resolved it. Dads are really good at teaching problem solving, and and that's an EQ skill. Kids need to know how do you analyze a problem, how do you solve it, how do you talk about what's the best option, what's the best solution. So dads have so much to offer. It's just that their delivery or their style is different than moms, but they both complement each other. And if you don't, if, if you're in a single-family home and dad's not there, whether it's a visitation schedule or whether it's somebody like an uncle, a brother, a teacher, a coach, find somebody that's really emotionally connected to your kid, that your child really respects and understands because that person can be a positive male role model in your child's life. See, I'm trying to appeal to my child's emotional intelligence, and I have a few um, ground rules uh, that I use at home. One of them is when he finishes school, um, he texts me. Oh, great. And, and, and to, you know, to say, hi, Dad, yeah. how are you? We have maybe we exchange three, four texts. I'll ask how was school. And it's always the same answer. But the fact is that I make sure that at the end of his day, he gets in touch. Yes. The other way yeah. I try and get his emotional intelligence or appeal to his emotion, I, I try and make him call his grandparents once a week. Make that his responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and the conversations are generally short because, you know, with these kids, everything is one answer. How are you? Right. I'm fine. Yeah. Monosyllables, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. how's how school? Good. You know, right. um, things like that. Um, but I'm also trying to be very realistic in that I'm encouraging and enforcing the interaction, but I'm not stressing him on, on laboring it. Yes. You are a perfect EQ dad. I can tell. <laughs> I can just tell. Mm. And, and that's exactly what we need to do as parents. You can still have expectations, right. but you're teaching your child as well. And you're showing up because you've asked your child, even though you can't be there, you've asked your son to call you when he gets home from school. So he knows that is something that you expect. You're setting expectations. He's meeting those expectations. And you took it one step further. You're having them call their grandparents once a week. And I've already, I've done that with my kids over the years, and Mm. sometimes they're busy, and, but I know how much it means to my parents to hear from their grandchildren. And it's a responsibility. It's something that we're teaching them, and that's so important to do, to respect your elders, to be empathetic enough, to care about them because they're elderly and you know how happy they are when they call. So those are all great parenting skills, all great skills. You know, when he was a kid, what I used to do to appeal to his emotional intelligence was to get him out of the shyness factor. All children are shy of adults, or, or you know, or especially if they're strangers when they come home first time. But what I used to do was uh, get him to go up to them 
look them in the eye and shake their hand. Yes. Uh, and say good. hello, how are you? And then they would go down and go back to their Xbox. Um, almost <laughs> almost like a little turtle, you know, comes out, gets his food and goes out. Um, now, as he's become a young teenager, I'm taking it now one step forward and I say you can't do that and just leave. What I want you to do is stand your ground and engage in a conversation. Now, you know this particular person's come to this house. He or she does this or does that. I want you to get into that conversation. Like yeah. if, if, you know, if they're in business, oh, uh, sir, how's business doing? Um, are you doing this? What are you, you know, bring it into yeah. your world by going into his or her world. Yes. You know, my son yeah. likes sneakers. So we have some of our friends who are in, in the fashion business. So I say, you know what, ask him about the fashion business, what's it like, and ask and bring it to your world of sneakers, which is part of the fashion for the youth. <laughs> yes, that's very good. And the thing is, think about this. Mm. When your son graduates from college, he's going to be out there looking for a job. Right. And what we see with a lot of college kids is they don't have a lot of experience networking. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to do it. So we can teach kids those skills when they're still living at home with us. Right. And what you're doing, by the way, Vip, is age appropriate. You know, you look at the age of your child and you have an expectation, this is what I'm going to teach my child at this age, just like you started with a handshake. But now that your child's older, he's an adolescent, what you're teaching him to do will help him throughout a lifetime. The interesting thing about IQ, intelligence, mm. versus EQ, emotional intelligence, is IQ is pretty much fixed at birth, right? But emotional intelligence can grow throughout a lifetime. So you can keep teaching these skills and practicing these skills and connecting with your child and those around you by showing them how you care about other people, by taking your kids down to an organization to like a food shelf or you know a homeless shelter it doesn't even have to be that it can be whatever whatever kind of service you want to provide for mm. someone i mean i've been fortunate to go to different places in the world to work with kids during times of crisis and i can remember after the tsunami um my youngest daughter she said she was the youngest she's never babysat she said i don't know if i can do this mom and i said you can do it i've raised you to do this and mm -hmm. you can do it and i put her on an airplane with two other young women who had just graduated from college and they served as our interns and right. we worked in 13 refugee camps and it was such a rewarding experience and Imagine modeling anything, just even writing letters to grandparents across the country that they can treasure and read over and over again. Those teach kids how to be compassionate, how to be understanding, and how to be empathetic with society at large because it's going to be their world. And it'll be a really scary world if kids don't learn those skills. But you said a very important thing, and that was that IQ is formed at birth. Does IQ yes. remain constant? Yes. Mm -hmm. Really? I didn't know it that. It does. Yes. So if I, I was born stupid, does that mean I, 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 I'm not going to increase my level of intelligence uh, no matter what I do? I hardly think that. <laughs> but, you know, without getting too technical, the brain changes over the years. Right. And so, you know, and we always want to learn and stimulate our brain. But we just compare that because you can learn so many more 
skills if you're emotionally intelligent. Because no matter how smart you are, if you can't relate to people, mm-hmm. that's a hindrance. And when companies are looking to hire employees, they're going to look to see, are you a team player? How do you communicate? You know, it's like taking all the tests they give you, um, like Myers-Briggs and psychological tests that a lot of companies give their employees. They want to know that you're the total package. They want to know that you understand critical thinking, that you have manners, that, you know, you can build a team, leadership skills. Most leaders are very effective communicators. Again, it's teaching our kids how how to connect emotionally and communicate so you're really connecting with the person you're talking to. We've talked a lot about what thing we've talked a lot about what things should be. Um, let's talk about the way things are. Um, based on how they are and where we are going down the road of the future, um, what's the world going to look like in your opinion? Well, you know, the internet is growing faster and faster and faster. Mm -hmm. And I think parents are kind of clueless. And so we need to, we don't even speak the digital language in most cases. But we're not really sure of the long-term effects. And that's why we're trying to teach as much as we can and to monitor kids because it's going to be a very different world. Well, if we don't monitor and we sort of don't get it right, what's the danger of what the world's going to look like? The danger is going to be that everything is moving at such a fast speed. Mm. We'll see more stress in the world. I really believe that. Mm -hmm. And and I think that we're not going to have a sense of connectedness, not with our families, not with our friends and neighbors. We've already seen that to some degree because the world is such a busy place now and everyone's working and the technology is moving so quickly. I think we could... We're, we're at risk of having a disengaged society. Yeah, because you know what? When we were growing up, we were taught to focus on one thing at a time. Nowadays, kids multitask, yeah. and it's it's part of the norm. Um, and more gets done, but we seem to be compromising quality for quantity. Right. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the brain changes. Mm. And and when you you are multitasking, you're really not concentrating. And the concentration really develops the brain waves in your brain. And you talk about being smarter. It's the lack of concentration and, and to be able to be persistent and to follow up on things and follow through. So I think there will be some changes. We just don't know what the end result will be. So taking away a few things, coordination, social skills, and problem solving, you're saying are best developed away from the screen? Yes. It's connecting with your emotions, your Mm. thinking process, and recognizing that others have opinions and are communicating with you and are telling you that, you know, this is what the world is about. And so the takeaway of all of this is, is that we need to supervise our kids. We need to find out if they're in balance, if they have interpersonal connections and what they are. We want to make sure they're making those interpersonal connections because we have these basic needs. We want to be sure that 
you know, these social bonds and the human relationships continue. And there is a balance between, you know, their online experiential learning and what's happening in the world in their screen time. When we chatted earlier on, you said that we need to remain one step ahead of these kids. Now, that's quite a feat. How, how do we remain one step ahead? Well, I think, you know, everything is changing so quickly mm-hmm. that, as I said earlier, parents don't speak bi- digital. Right. And even if you did, things are changing so quickly that you really have to be on top of it. You need to talk to your kids about, you know, you have to look at them and say, you never want to reveal any personal information. I mean, we have to give them strategies for staying safe. And that is just really, really important. And we want to be sure that the kids' basic needs are being met, but you still have to give them the independence. What are their basic needs? Their basic needs are to connect with other humans, to have conversations with people, face-to-face, you know, connections and face-to-face communications. And we have to be able to encourage them to establish human relationships, right, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, want, we have to be super, super visual with our kids, vigil about, about um, you know, setting limits. Sometimes you're going to have to be tough. There are a lot of dangers out there. We need to talk to our kids about that, the cyberbullying. You know, you have to control. You have to moderate. It's just... You know, we've got all kinds of things, pornography, um, you know, um, abusive people that are not, don't always have our kids' welfare at heart. And so we need to talk about them. We need to be tough and set the ground rules and set limits. You know, for parents like me, I'm I'm in such a dilemma because um, my son loves to use technology. He loves social media. He loves um, texting his friends and things like that. And I'm very aware of the fact that he needs to build on his emotional intelligence at all times. Um, And here's the dilemma I have. I actually encourage him to go to parties, okay? And and, and for the only reason that, you know what, go out, make a girlfriend, meet with your friends, and, you know, 30, 40 of these youngsters uh, get together. Now, my dilemma is... um, a lot of these STDs going around, um, secret drinking, um, smoking, and, and things like that. So I'm damned if I do, and I'm damned if I don't. So are you asking me if it's right or if, you know, you know what? what uh, yeah, I guess we need to have with our kids? I, I, I guess so, yes. Because you're really doing the right thing. What you're doing is you're encouraging him to be social and mm. to have fun with his friends, and that's how he practices um, how to be an adult, right? That's right. But the other thing is, just like with the Internet, we need to be talking to our children to keep them safe. We need to be talking to them about sexually transmitted diseases, about drug abuse, and hopefully that conversation starts at a very early age. We don't wait until they're in high school. It's just like back in the day we used to be nervous about having the big conversation with our children, and that was about sex. Well, you know, there's a whole lot of things out there to add to that list now. And the big conversation is how do you keep our kids safe without scaring the bejeebies out of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's always a fine line as a parent. What do I tell them? But 
I like to think of it as if we give kids age-appropriate, accurate information, Mm. kids will feel empowered. And then you have to know your child and trust your child. Trust is something that's earned. It's not just given away freely. So by supervising your child and knowing what's going on and connecting with parents, and those are the kind of things that we need to do to stay on top of our kids at this age, especially in adolescence. Well, as we have a few minutes left, I want to, you know, you talked about balance. So that's it. And, and, And it seems none of this is rocket science. It's just about using common sense, really. Mm-hmm. So right. what would you suggest um, parents do with, with their children in order to achieve uh, balance in terms of usage of technology and, and appealing to their emotional intelligence? Well, I think you need to, to see, is my child you know, going out? Does he have friends? Does mm. he have, you know, people with whom he spends his time? Are there adults in his life? Are there adults, you know, that could influence their life? Right. And who are the people they surround themselves with? I think that's a really good barometer if you look at friends right. and then you stay connected to their parents, as I heard you mention before. But you want to be sure when we talk about balance, we say, oh, yes, well, that makes sense to adults. But what it really is 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 looking at their overall activities. Mm. Where are they spending their time? Are they completely, you know, absorbed in an, in a sport? Are they a member of a math club? You know, what what are the areas of expertise? Because we always want kids to be successful in as many different arenas as they can be. So they have a strong sense of self. Because kids that have a strong sense of self are less likely to, to succumb to peer pressure. So we want to look at, is there a balance with schoolwork? And your child may be a very good student. And in that case, you know, maybe you let up on how much time, you know, they're spending on Facebook or texting their friends. Well, what I've done is I've kept the television and computer out of the child's room. Okay. Uh, I've, I've said that there is no eating in front of the TV unless, oh, unless it's a snack or, yeah. or, or we're having a special movie night, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. Um, uh. I do encourage sort of active socialization by him attending parties because he's come of that age. Um, But I like this concept. And if you could just, you know, spend a few uh, seconds on the, you you said creating some sort of a media plan. Yes. And I think if you can, you know, when we say Mm. pediatricians often recommend this only and I can, if there's any teenager listening to this show right now, they will roll their eyeballs and cringe. Mm. But the ideal time is two hours a day. And that includes TV, it includes your um, iPhones, it right. includes your computer, and that is really limiting. But again, you go back to knowing your child. Right. What can your child handle? Now, two hours can, a day, including using computers for studying. Yeah, no, for stu- studying is exempt. Exempt. Okay, great. Now, if you're uh, sure they're studying. Mm, yeah, that that's another thing altogether. Um, right. How can listeners reach out to you? Well, I have a website, denisedanielsparenting.com, 
and I'm happy to respond to any emails that I receive from parents or teachers or any interested people um, on my website. Now, very quickly, what's next in the pipeline for you? Well, we're very excited because um, we're launching in Target stores Mm -hmm. next August, um, a property that teaches children emotional intelligence skills. So we're really looking forward to that. Um, Our curriculum was developed by Dr. Mark Brackett at Yale, and we're very excited to get these toys in the hands of children everywhere. Denise, I wish you all the very best. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience. It was wonderful. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswal and my Facebook page. Just type in Vip Jaswal Report. Also, let me know what you think about today's show. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead. Yeah.